Good morning. Great to see you. Yep, the Hall of Fame is here. And Jack, by the way, if you change your mind, where is she? Yeah, if you change your mind, just get up while I'm speaking and come and share. That'd be absolutely fine. Um, that's not a problem. Uh, It's great to see you. If you're visiting us, you've come on a great day. We love doing baptisms, celebrating what God is doing in different individuals' lives. And for me, it seems somehow appropriate that at a time when everything around us seems to be shifting, that we come back to the heart of what we're about as the people of God, that we celebrate what God has done in breaking in in individuals' lives with his love and his mercy and turning lives around. You know, everything around us is changing, isn't it? And we, you know, from one Sunday to the next at the moment, we come here the next week and everything in the world seems to have shifted. And yet God stays the same. I love what um, Kendrick said at the beginning. God's the same yesterday, today. You know, governments are not the same yesterday, today. And the people who were the future once are not even the present now, never mind the future. But God stays the same, amen? God is still on the throne. And that is worthy of our celebration this morning. So, um. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning, but as Julian introduced the morning, he said that um, we're, Nigel's going to preach, and then we're going to have some incredible stories of what God has done in people's lives. Um, but we're also going to have an incredible story from the Bible as well at this point, so don't just overlook this bit. Um, there's some pretty amazing things that happen in the book of Acts as well. We're going to talk about one of them right now. Um, But really, our focus is on the God who breaks in on individuals. And that's the story we're going to read about. We're going to go to Acts 8 this morning and read about Philip. Now, Philip was um, one of the uh, part of the early church. So just after Jesus' death and resurrection, as the church started to explode and boom and spread out, and lots of people were becoming Christians, uh, Philip was one of the early leaders. He uh, was one of those designated to look after the social action projects, lo- looking after those who were in need. You might remember the story in Acts 6, along with Stephen. Um, and as As the church was spreading, amazing things were happening. People were being uh, drawn to God. Amazing miracles were being done. As a result of which, you may remember the story that Stephen was persecuted, was stoned, and actually was killed because of what he represented. Because he was, um, it it was too much of a threat to the authorities at the time. What God was doing. Uh, Philip was one of his contemporaries. He went off preaching in Samaria, and then we find him in Acts eight given a very particular mission by God uh, with another individual. And that's what we're going to read right now. So we're going to go to Acts 8, and we're starting at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandachi, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So we see Philip here given an amazing job by God. He'd been preaching to huge crowds. He'd been doing amazing miracles in Samaria. Um, and loads of people have been flocking and responding to the message about Jesus. But all of a sudden, God takes him away and has a very particular mission for him to go and talk to this Ethiopian official on the road to Gaza. And really, uh, one of the things that I love about this story is what it tells us about the way God is interested in you and me. That he's interested in the individual. There were crowds that were responding to Philip. And yet, God says, there's this one guy on the road on the way to Gaza. I want you to give up what you're doing right now and I want you to go and find him. And that speaks volumes about the God that we worship this morning. That he is interested in the individual. That he knows all about us. I don't know what is going on with you this morning, where you're at. Uh, what's happening in life, but God knows. He sees you. His eye is on the sparrow, the Bible says. And how much more valuable are human beings than sparrows? And God is a whole lot more interested in you and me than we are in him. And he'll go to great lengths, you know, to get our attention. Um, it reminds, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of um, on Wednesday evening this week, um, we were at the Infant Music Festival at the Wyvern. So um, our smallest, Esther, was uh, on the stage with all the little kids doing their fantastic songs for the parents and all. It's very exciting. You know, Reach for the Stars and all that. We're all joining in. It's very good. Um, and you've got all these little kids on the stage crammed in, looking out for their parents into the dark, you know, the stage lights, and they're trying to wave. And their parents have seen little Jimmy and they're trying to communicate. But, and sometimes I think it's like that with us and God, that we're there looking into the dark, wondering, is he there? What's going on? Is he actually taking any notice of me? But the Bible tells us quite a different story, actually, that God is absolutely interested in every one of us and following and got plans and purposes, good plans and purposes for each of us. You might not feel like that today, but that is the reality. And, you know, God is endlessly creative. He's able to get get involved in our lives and break in on our lives, just as he did with this Ethiopian official on the road to Gaza. He's so able to do anything he wants to break in and interrupt our lives and say, actually, I love you. I want to be involved. I want to bless you. I want to uh, help you to live life in the way that it was originally designed to be lived. And we've seen, um, I don't know if you've seen in the news this week, um, but there's been a lot about uh, Pokemon Go, just to... Uh, help you understand that I'm right up to date. Um, I tried to explain what it was in the first meeting. I struggled. Colin put his hand in, head in his hands because it was something to do with technology. But anyway, it's augmented reality. Who knows what that means? But anyway, you go after these Pokemon characters, but it's actually in real life location. So uh, the game might send, you, you know, you follow it, you follow it on your, on your phone and it takes you to real locations, which might be a Pokestop. So your church might be a Pokestop. Okay? Are you following me so far? I know, I, 
I'm way ahead of you on technology, obviously. Um, but anyway, so churches are finding this a great opportunity because God can use any means to bring people to, to know about him. So there is advice from the church. I was reading a, a press release from the Bristol Diocese this week that said, you, you take advantage of this. Welcome people into your churches. Your church might be a poker stop. I doubt our church is one, actually, because it doesn't look good enough from the outside, really. But anyway, it could be. So, you know, provide opportunities for people to charge their phone batteries. Uh, let them use your Wi-Fi. Welcome them in. To be honest, our Wi-Fi struggles to cope with email, so it won't cope with Pokemon Go. But anyway, that was the principle. But God can use anything to break in on our lives to get hold of us. And his love will drive him to do that. I don't know what your background is this morning. I don't know where you've come from. This guy that Philip was sent to meet on the road to Gaza was a very high up official in the government of Ethiopia, as it, as it was then, modern day Sudan probably. But um, effectively, he was in charge of the treasury, so he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, would be our equivalent. Um, the equivalent of Philip Hammond. I don't know if you're keeping up. They change very rapidly at the moment, but Philip Hammond is the current one. Uh, and I read this week, actually, another thing, that he used to be a goth. Can you imagine that? Philip Hammond, Chancellor of the Exchequer, was a goth when he was a teenager. I know. You heard it first here. Well, maybe you've read it this week. Anyway, fascinating. But whoever you are, the point is, whatever your background, he was the highest official. Very senior, wouldn't have wanted for anything in life, had a chariot, was being looked after. It doesn't matter who you are. God is interested from the highest to the, who might consider them to be the, themselves to be the very lowest. God is interested in every one of us. God has a plan. God's love has driven him to want to break in on our lives, to communicate his love and his grace and his mercy to us. I don't know what your background is today. I don't know what you're coming with, what your experience of church is. But God wants to reveal to, to you how much he's interested in you and his love for you. I don't know what questions you've got on your mind today. You know, we all come with different questions, don't we? The, the thing that was on the Ethiopian official's mind as he was uh, minding his own business on the road to Gaza in Acts 8 was that he was trying to understand these Jewish scriptures. So he's probably a convert to Judaism. He'd been to Jerusalem. He was reading Jewish scriptures, and yet he had no idea what he was reading about. And that was the thing that was concerning him. That was the thing on his mind. And so that's where God started with him. But it will be different questions for each one of us. We come with different things, different circumstances, as Helen prayed earlier. Whatever is going on, God, God's starting point in our lives is our starting point. He starts where we are and he works with us from there. And uh, I just want to say at Gate, I don't know, you know we're, we're, so we love having different people amongst us. Whatever your question is this morning, we'd love to try to answer that question. We love running the Alpha course, which looks to answer questions about Jesus. We do that a few times each year. But we are very comfortable with questions about Jesus. I believe God is very comfortable with being asked questions. And he starts right where we are because He's, he's, he's crossed the, the cosmos, as it were, in Jesus to come and meet with us. So the message, uh, as so Philip begins to explain these scriptures, the prophet Isaiah, to the Ethiopian official who's sitting in this chariot. And what he does is he starts with that passage in Isaiah and he explains, the Bible says, the good news about Jesus. So what is the news about Jesus and why is it good? Now, the thing is, we're just going to look at the, the words of Isaiah that, uh, that, that the Ethiopian official was reading. 
But what those words clearly describe, and this is what Philip would have explained to him, was that they explain what will happen to Jesus when he dies and is, and is resurrected 700 years after the prophet was writing. So the prophet Isaiah wrote, and what he wrote turns out to be exactly what happened to Jesus 700 years later. So the prophet writes this, he is led like a sleep, sheep, sorry, not like a sleep, like a sheep to be slaughtered. He's silent in the face of incredible cruelty. He's innocent, but is humiliated and deprived of justice. And as we dig around a bit further in Isaiah's prophecy and look at the section just before, we see the explanation for this untimely and undeserved death. So this is what Isaiah writes in verses four to six. He says this, 700 years before Christ, remember. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, that is the things that we do wrong. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. This is Isaiah writing. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity that is the wrongdoing of all of us. So all those years before, the prophet was describing so accurately what was going to happen to Jesus Christ. And as we read the whole story of the Bible, we see this picture unfolding of what um, of the, the human condition, if you like, before God. So what the Bible tells us is that we chose as human beings to do life without God. That we wanted to be in control of our own lives. That we wanted to be the captain of the ship, if you like, to do whatever we wanted. Actually, that God had designed us to live with him in charge. With him at the helm of our lives. But we said, no, we don't want that. We want to do things our own way. Thank you very much. Rebellion against God. It's called sin in the Bible. And ultimately, although things seem fine living like that for a time, actually there is no life without the life giver, without the creator. And so ultimately the consequence of living against God, of living in rebellion to him, is death. And God could have said, of course, he could have said, forget it. I'm not bothered. You've turned your back on me. You want to do things your own way. You don't want to live in the way that I designed human beings to live. But that's not God. God is full of love and incredible mercy and credible compassion. And because of his longing for relationship with us as human beings, he went to great lengths, ridiculous lengths, to restore that broken relationship with human beings. And that is why Jesus had to die on a cross. So he stood in our place. He took the death, the punishment that should have been ours. He stood where we should have stood. That we might be forgiven, that we might be healed, reconciled to God, our broken relationship restored with God, that we might live in the way that he originally intended us to live, that we might be forgiven and go free. And that's why the prophets, even Isaiah 700 years before Christ, are pointing forward to this event, Jesus' death and resurrection, which is the pivotal point in human history. And we look back to that event, the pivotal point in human history, and celebrate what Jesus has done in standing in our place, dying instead where it should have been us, that we might have relationship restored with God. That is what Philip would have explained to the Ethiopian official on the road to Gaza. And he got to the point where obviously he explained baptism to him. 
And so I want to just explain to you why do we baptize people? Why, do we, why are we going to, in a minute, put these four guys in the water there, dunk them, pull them back up again? What's that got to do with the good news about Jesus Christ? Well, it's a, it's a pretty dramatic picture, really, of what God does when he breaks in on our lives. When we get to the point of saying, yes, Lord, with you, forgive me. I want to actually live with you as Lord of my life. I accept, Jesus, your death in my place that I might go free and I might have relationship once again with God. Baptism is a messy, dramatic, not very religious, not very British picture of what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and decide that we're going to follow him. And that's what the, that's what the Ethiopian official, once he'd, once he'd had explained to him about Jesus, he said, right, I want to get baptized. I want to do this thing. I want to do this, this picture, if you like, of what Jesus has done for me. And we're going to do that again with these guys this morning. So as we put them under the water, that is like the end of our old life with us in charge. And then as we pull them back out of the water, that's, they are being raised up, if you like, to a new life, one where Jesus is in control, where he is in charge, where we're living with him as king, as was originally intended. And that's the picture going down into the water Effectively, life starts again, the Bible says. It calls it being born again. And so it's an amazing picture of what goes on in the life of each person who gets to that point and says, yep, Jesus, I believe that what you did was in my place. I want to have your, ask for your forgiveness, and I want to live with you in charge from now on. It's also pretty much like a bath, so you, it's like getting washed. All that we've done wrong, forgiven before God, in a moment as we put our faith in Jesus, that everything no matter what we've done, no matter what our past, washed away in that sense, our wrongdoing washed away because of Jesus' death. So that's what we're going to do with these guys in a minute. It's a dramatic picture, but that's why it's so exciting because it's such a visible representation of what God has done with us. So that's what Philip explained to the Ethiopian official on the road to Gaza. It's what we're doing here today. And isn't it exciting that the say, you see, I don't know if you thought that the church was dead or that or Christianity was dying out, but the very thing that we see here on the pages of the New Testament is what we're still doing. It's been going on all through history because God is a God of love and mercy who continues to want to break in on people's lives. He does it in all sorts of different ways with people from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of different stories, but he's still doing it. And that's what we're celebrating here this morning, that God is the same God. And it seems only appropriate, as we've got so many uh, people from the history of this church here this morning, to say, to just tell you a little story of the, the, big, the beginning of this church. You see, the first time we baptised in, in this church, Swindon Family Church, as it was, we did it in the Link Centre swimming pool. You see, this is not a religious ceremony. You can do it anywhere. You can do it in a pool on the road to Gaza. You can do it in a swimming pool. You can do it wherever you like, because it's a picture of what God has done. Anyway... There was a Baptist pastor in Worcester who God, once again, broke in on, started speaking to and saying, I want you to go to Swindon. Um, he came to, to, I want you to go and ch- start a church. His son had a dream where he saw a building that looked like a mechanical spider. That's how he, that's how he described it. They came to Swindon. They investigated the Link Centre as a possible venue for a new church. And the son said, this is the building I saw in my dream. It looks like a mechanical spider. Kind of does, I suppose, when you look at it like that. And so this church started there. I was one of the early ones. Who else was there at the beginning? And I was, I was in that first group to get baptized in the Link Center swimming pool. You see, we arrived at that building. And like the Ethiopian, we said, 
Here is water. Who can stop us being baptized? It wasn't quite like that, to be honest. But anyway, we did get baptized in the Link Center swimming pool. Anyway, the, the reality is that this keeps going on, that the church is alive, that God is moving people around because he wants to get involved in their lives and show them his love and his mercy. And you see, he uses all sorts of things. With Philip, he used the persecution, bad, bad circumstances in the early church. They were being scattered and he took Philip to Samaria and the the good news about Jesus started spreading there. Equally, he spoke to to Philip just as an individual and said, I want you to go and meet with this guy on the road to Gaza. So he can work in all sorts of different ways and he continues to do that today. And it's just great that we're able to baptize Um, Elliot and Abigail this morning, and the others, of course, as well. But just to mention, because you guys, they they too have heard the voice of of God in that sense, speaking to them and saying, I want you to up sticks. This is what the good news of Jesus does. God speaks. He moves things around. Um, As he's moved lots of people in this room, so that the message of the good news of Jesus continues to go out as we move around and we are in different places. And these guys are going to France. It's such a key time. I absolutely believe that this is a key time for the nation of France. And God isn't interested in Brexit, you know. Well, God, okay, God's interested in everything. Let's just correct that. But now, Brexit or not, God is interested in the nation of France. And that is for us as near neighbors to pray for that nation, to serve that nation. And as we as we send these guys off in a few weeks, what a thrill to say, I believe you're key to what, you know, to something that God is doing. He is moving in that nation, undoubtedly. And we need to, as we did earlier, to really pray. And I, I just believe God's going to put France on our hearts more and more in the days ahead. And it is a joy to be able to uh, pray for you guys as you go in a couple of weeks and to baptize you as well this morning. And it's just exciting. Let's, God, let your kingdom come in France. Amen. And you see, he's doing it. He's still doing it today. He's the same God because he wants more and more to know this good news of Jesus Christ, of a God who is full of love and full of mercy, who has good plans and purposes for us. We're, we're praying as well for Mark this morning. Mark and Jackie are down in the Isle of Wight. Uh, he's preaching in the church. We're going to send him there in January. He's relocating. And so it goes on. You know, God speaks. But the, the message for the guys getting baptized this morning is, What you're saying this morning is that someone new is in charge of your life, that Jesus is now Lord. And actually that causes us to ask questions and to say, okay, God, what would you have me do? Because now I'm not captain of the ship anymore. You're in charge. So as as we raise them out of the water, we pray for them to be filled with the Spirit. We want to, the question on on their hearts is, God, what would you have me do in life? That doesn't mean going. We're not all going to go. But it means in every area of life. It changes everything, whether it's in work or school whether it's in with our neighbors and our friends, it changes everything. Jesus is Lord now. So the question is, God, how would you have me be? What would you have me do in the days ahead in obedience to you? Amen? Amen. Let's baptize him. Colin, over to you.